Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul. Welcome to the Demand Excellence Podcast. Today is part two of what I've learned. And my whole point of doing and what I've learned is how to build a program. This is my 13th season here um, at Eagles Landing Christian Academy. I started being head coach, didn't know anything. I've learned a lot over the years. I'm still trying to learn. It's a constant process. I want to clear a few things up from yesterday. Uh, number one is all the things that I was talking about, I'm not blaming anybody. I take ownership, and it was my fault. Um, so when I talk about listening to parents, I was talking about how I allowed a parent to get into my mind, and he manipulated my mind, and he made me just kind of, he didn't, it wasn't his fault. He didn't do it on purpose. He just loved his son. He just wanted to help his son out. He believed in his son, but the problem is I just listened to dad, and I believed what dad was saying, and I didn't evaluate myself. I didn't trust my own eyes. You got to talk to your parents. You got to develop great relationships, but you have to trust your evaluation of the player. Don't let a parent tell you how great their son is. Let your eyes tell you how great their son is. So I got to take ownership of that. That was my mistake. If you're a coach, I, I've always asked great coaches questions, which is what I'm doing with the podcast. I'm calling up coaches and I'm asking them questions and I'm putting it on a podcast. But when you ask questions, don't ask a question to be heard. And what I mean is I have so many guys, they'll ask me a question, but they don't listen to my answer. They start telling me how they do it. Well, here's the problem. I didn't ask you a question. I didn't ask you how you did it. I didn't even call you. You called me or you're talking to me and you're asking me the question and I'm going to tell you the answer. Don't ask a question and then listen and then you start talking. You know, and when I ask a coach a question, I don't try to answer the question myself. Like, coach, how do you do this? Then he starts talking and I say, well, this is how I do it. No, that's stupid. You know, don't, don't do that. Um, a few other things. Okay, don't, if, if your school suspends a player and he gets in trouble, I don't think you need to punish him more. Okay, you know, it's over with. You know, bottom line is, what are we trying to achieve with punishment? By, we're trying to change a behavior. We're trying to get a kid to repent of a poor behavior and change. Um, we're trying to, heart transformation is what we're after. So if the suspension got what you wanted, don't don't punish the kid more. And I'll be honest with you, you might say, hey, I'm going to suspend you uh, for two weeks from football. But you instantly got a heart change in the kid and there's remorse and there's a change of behavior. Well, then you can go back. You don't have to keep that two weeks. So your whole point is trying to get a change of behavior. And if you get the change of behavior, you can relent of your punishment. That's what God does, okay? God wants us to repent. And when we repent, he forgives us. We need to do the same thing. We're control freaks. We want to control everything. We want to punish everything. But it's not fruitful and it's not productive. Don't let a non-committed player who is not very good suck the life out of you and the life out of your team. Just just count him as insignificant, okay? Just don't don't let player 60 impact players 1 through 59 and suck the life out of you. 
And, and I guess what I'm trying to say is a kid that's not bought in, a kid that doesn't work, don't sit around wasting your time punishing that kid, okay? Because he's not bought in. He's not listening to you. Don't let him be a distraction. Don't let him be a hindrance. And then on the opposite end, your kids that are your best players that might not be bought in, you need to spend a lot of time trying to motivate them. I don't think punishing them is going to work. So, you know, but there's a fine line in all of that, and that's the mastery of coaching. There is no answer, you know what I mean? Like, I can't give you an answer on you should do this with this kid and this with this kid. For me, everything's a unique situation. No one kid should be punished the same way. Um, you know, but yeah, I do have a rule like, hey, if you miss practice, you're not going to play. But that's easy. But when it gets into uh, punishing for off the field, away from football things, you got to be very careful. All right, so let's get into being a great assistant. Just some things that I'm thinking about. Number one, and this goes for head coaches. The head coach needs to be a great leader. I have failed in many ways. When I talk about being a great leader, articulate you, what you want and your desires for your program. I think about when I hired Brett Collier in 2017 to be my defensive coordinator. I clearly articulated to Brett Collier that I wanted to run a 3-5 cover three. These are the things that I want you to do as a football coach. These are the things that I need from my defensive coordinator. And as you earn my trust, I will give you more responsibility. I'm going to micromanage everything you do until I trust that you're doing it the right way. This is the Elka way. This is how we practice. This is how we prepare. And then as Brett earned my trust... He can change things a little bit. Now, I did give him one charge when he got the defensive coordinator job. I said, hey, Brett, we're going to run the 3-5 cover three. I said, but we ran the 3-5 cover three last year, and Tattnall rushed for over 300 yards against us in the playoffs, and I need that fixed. And so I'll tell you what Brett did an awesome job of is he took the 3-5 cover three over the course of the summer, and he brought to me great ways that we could stop the overload set and still stay balanced to stop the power to the strong side and the power to the weak side. And so he started to earn my trust. But I clearly articulated those things to Brett because I learned in 2013, when I hired uh, Coach Zach Davis, I did not clearly articulate the things that I wanted. So I learned, I failed, I took ownership of those things. I've apologized to Zach, I apologized to him on my podcast, and I moved forward and did it right with Brett. And Brett's had a lot of success and done a lot of great things. Um, and he and he respected me, did what I asked, earned my trust. He's and since he's had a lot of success, he'll be a head coach soon he's waiting on the right opportunity number two exceed expectations all right your coach uh, he wants you to do certain certain things exceed those expe expectations you have to earn like i talked about you have to earn the trust of your coach uh, before he will respect you you can't just go in there thinking everybody needs to know what i know i'm a genius i'm, I'm just great people will hate you if you act like that think about this when you go into an organization. It's a great verse right here. Philippians 2, 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. And I'm going to use Brett as an example. 
it probably was a smack in the face when I was talking with him on the phone and I told him, Brett, I don't, I don't care what you know, what defense you know. I need you to come run my 3-5. I like you. I hear great things about you, me and you mesh. I need you to come run my 3-5 defense. And he probably was like, oh, man, like, what am I going to do? And I told him, I said, dude, I got 11 returning starters. Um, don't even act like you know more than them because they think they know everything. Just come in here and coach them and teach them and encourage them. And let me tell you what, man, in, in the uh, first year as a, head, as a defensive coordinator in the 2017 playoffs, the whole entire playoff run, he only gave up three points. And that's my fault. I was goofing off at the end of the state championship game when we were up and we threw an interception and they kicked a field goal to score three points. But that's because Brett Collier was humble. You know, he humbled himself. I'm sure he wanted to tell me everything that he knew, but instead he took everything that I knew and then he made it better. All right, let me tell you something. I could not have run the 3-5 as good as Brett Collier. I just knew I wanted to run the 3-5. So uh, he humbled himself, and I told him everything I knew about the 3-5. I pointed him to some other guys that he could call about the 3-5, and then that sucker ran it better than anybody I've ever known to run it, okay, for the past two years. So anyways, that's a good example of Brett Collier, how he exceeded expectations because he was humble. Number three, don't go, don't go somewhere thinking you have all the knowledge. Go somewhere with the, with the desire to be a great teacher. Think about this. I'm, I am not a, a nuclear engineer, okay? Engineers, they have a lot of math, okay? They've had calculus one, two, three, four, whatever. If you're a nuclear engineer, you're a math genius. But let me tell you something. I can be a better math teacher, a better algebra one teacher than a nuclear engineer. Although that person may be smarter than me and he might know more math than me, he doesn't mean he can teach it better than me. Be it, That's what we are, coaches. We're teachers, okay? All right? Somebody might know how to run power better than me, but he can't teach that guard how to block that three technique better than me or that two-eye better than me or that, or that shade better than me or that zero technique better than me. I'm going to be a master teacher and a master of technique. It's not who knows the most football. It's who can teach the most football. And can your players do it? And you got to love these X and O warriors on Twitter. They just talk about X's and O's all the time. I think about this, man. All the knowledge but no production. You can talk about X's and O's all you want. But here's what I want to know. Can you produce? Show me the film. Show me your record of your success. Then I'll listen to your X's and O's. But a lot of coaches that win, they, they don't talk X's and O's. I can't stand people who think they know everything. Um... Leadership is not what you know. Leadership is influence. Can you influence your players in the right way? Can you influence them? Can you make them trust you? Will they listen to you? And then will you model a correct behavior? I think about coaches that tell their players not to do drugs and to be loyal and to respect women. And those same coaches play music in the weight room or at practice where women are disrespected by being called the B word and doing drugs sounds recreational and the cool thing to do. That's poor leadership. 
That's, that's modeling poor behavior. It's a complete contradiction of what you're telling those kids. And those kids do not see you uh, as a genuine person and they don't respect you. They might like you, but they don't respect you. Number four, do not get your feelings hurt. Okay, I, I remember a great story, and I don't know if it's true, but we'll use it. Kirby Smart was working for Nick Saban, and Nick Saban yelled at Kirby Smart one day at practice, and Kirby Smart started sulking, and Nick Saban yelled at him the next time and said, don't you start sulking on me. Don't you start feeling sorry for yourself. And the whole point is this. You know, be strong. Be tough. Be steadfast. If the head coach yells at you, just keep on moving forward. Is that not what you would want your players to do? You yell at your player. You don't want to see them cower and feel sorry for themselves. You want to see their, their behavior corrected. So don't you feel sorry for yourself. Number five, strive to outwork everyone on the staff with a spirit of humility. I tell my staff this. I'm, I'm the O-line coach at my school. I tell them the O-line is going to work harder than everybody, and we're going to be a better unit than everybody. And then I tell them this. Now, that's a challenge. I want everybody to go to their unit, to their position group, and I want them to strive to outwork every other position group and to be better technicians at their positions than every position group. <clears throat> and then if we will humbly do that, we will be a great team. <clears throat> All right, number six. If you can't motivate and lead guys, then you are an assistant and not a head coach. So... You know, there's a process to being a head coach, and it's motivating kids to work. When you go to the field as an assistant coach, you're just coaching kids that already are, are, are already there. A head coach has to get them there. So if you can't motivate those kids and you can't get them to buy into you, then you're probably an assistant coach and not a head coach. Number seven, I want you assistant coaches to think about, I just wrote down a few. Here's everything a head coach, here's all the things that are swirling around in a head coach's brain all the time. You're worried about X's and O's, but a head coach is worried about so much more. Getting his players recruited. Uh, got to talk to parents. Got to talk to college coaches. Got to have summer plans, junior day plans. Got to schedule those. Who's going to take them? Who's going to get them there? Got to raise, number two, you got to raise money. Buying equipment, buying gear, all that type of stuff. Number three, Everyone's showing up to summer workouts. Everyone's showing up to workout every single day. Generate excitement. Motivate everybody to show up. Hold everyone accountable. Number four, the whole program, K-5 through 12th grade. You got to make sure you're developing the lower grades and everybody's excited about football. Number five, parent issues and concerns, which is a constant deal from January 1st all the way to December 31st. Number six, grades and behavior of your players at school. Teachers come to the head coach. They blame the head coach. I've always wondered about that, but they blame us. Number seven, practice plans and schedule. The coach has to be concerned about that and getting that out to the parents and getting that out to the players, getting that out to the assistant coaches. Number eight, a yearly calendar. This is what we're going to do, and this is how we're going to run our program across around for the whole year. Number nine, a vision for the program, constantly selling the vision of the program, marketing your program. Number 10, upgrades and facilities, constantly looking to do things. I mean, 
cutting the grass, lining the fields. I could go on and on and on. I'm thinking about how I'm going to get water Wednesday morning at summer workouts. Where are the coolers? Where's the ice? All this kind of stuff, the different stations that we're going to have. So this is what a head coach is thinking about all the time. So assistant coaches, help them as much as possible. Don't even ask them where you can help. Just start helping. Just go clean the locker room, clean the weight room. Wherever you see an area of deficiency, go help. Here's another area where Brett Collier is awesome. During the college recruiting season, I do the weight room, and then I have to talk to college coaches. When Brett sees that I am talking to a college coach, he has five history periods he teaches, but his off periods are fourth and seventh. I have weights during those he will come down to the weight room, and if he sees I'm talking to a coach, he instantly takes over the weight room, and I don't have to ask him to do it. He just does it. He is worth gold. And, and I went to our touchdown club and asked our touchdown club to give him some money because it's so valuable. But that is what I'm talking about. Look for areas of deficiency and go help because your head coach is overloaded. Sometimes he might just be sitting there staring because like he's got he's got brain lock. He doesn't he has 5000 things to do and he doesn't know where to start. Number 8. Assistant coaches, defend the players on your staff. Do not develop relationships and talk poorly about the program or other players to your parents. Okay? Don't go up to the um parking lot and start dogging your head coach or your defensive coordinator or your offensive coordinator or other players on your team to parents. Stay away from controversial topics with parents because you want to be loyal to your coaching staff. And I realize this is hard. I tell my coaches all the time, I know y'all talk about me behind my back. I know you say I'm stupid and I know you say I'm dumb because it's human nature to do those things. And you're going to, I know that I'm going to be talked about, but you better defend me. You can say, yeah, Coach Guest made a bad play call, but Coach, he works really hard. He does his best, blah, blah, blah. Like, you have to defend each other, okay? Number nine, young coaches do not have close relationships with high school girls, and I would even say other female teachers and this, this is why, because I've seen so many coaches get in trouble because of inappropriate relationship with high school girls, and the high school girls might go on to be in college and the, and the relationship got, got to be inappropriate. Stay away. Do not have relationships with those girls or you will get burned. Um, I'm 40 years old. And it was a rule for me to not have close relationships uh, with high school girls for the longest time. And even still, I don't, I don't have close relationships with high school girls. I don't see why I would. You know, I'm very nice. I'm cordial. But, uh, but with other female teachers, high school girls, th there's no need for, for that to, to be close in your relationship with them. Um, so just be careful right there. Um, here's the deal. You got to guard your heart. We live in a very immodest society. Girls don't wear much clothing. You need to be very careful. Um, you, you need to understand that 
you can be put in a very compromising situation. Uh, man, if you ever got in the in a car with a high school girl for any reason, do not. I do not feel sorry for you if you get fired. If you are ever caught in a room with a high school girl, like a classroom by yourself, you should get fired. Okay, I'm just gonna go ahead and say that. Guard your heart. Guard your reputation. Number ten. Try to do things with a group of guys to see if you can motivate them and lead them. That is not football related. When I was an assistant coach at FPD, I used to go to some restaurant with about 10 to 15 guys and we read a book together and each week we would get together and talk about that book. But just, just see if you can lead and motivate a group. Man, if you can get a bunch of boys to read a book or, or even if they don't read it, but come to a restaurant to talk about a book like a book club how, how goofy is that you can motivate them to do a lot of things and you're a great motivator and, and there's a good sign that you're a great leader so always kind of be working that skill and do it outside the realm of football and then if you, also if you do that you're going to become very valuable to your parents number 11 if you can't follow you can't lead you know what? As a leader, I have to follow a lot of people. I have to follow follow um, what my headmaster wants me to do. I have to follow a lot of times what my touchdown club wants me to do, what my booster club wants me to do, what my athletic director wants me to do. So if you can't follow, you can't lead. So you're learning how to follow as an assistant coach. Number 12, pray for wisdom and discernment every single day. I think about Psalm 32.8. Teach me and instruct me in the way that I should go. Counsel me with your eye upon me. Discernment, man. Every situation is unique. Every situation requires a different action. I often talk about punishing uh, high school athletes. And I always say, man, every situation is different. Now, you have your set standards. I don't have many set standards, but I, I do make this one. If you don't practice, you don't play. Okay, and that's football related. Hey, if you don't show up to practice, you're not playing. So there's things that happen off the field, away from the field. And, and so I don't believe in having set rules for things that happen off the field. If you drink, then this. If I catch you smoking, then this. If you hold your girlfriend's hand, then this. I mean, there's all these stupid rules. There is no end to rules that we can come up with. But you got to work with your school and the punishment. At my school, if a kid gets caught drinking, he gets suspended for three weeks. Well, guess what? If the kid gets suspended for three weeks, he missed three games. I'm not going to punish him anymore. Hey, you, you had that to deal with. You missed three football games. That's an embarrassing thing that you got in trouble for drinking. So I don't believe in double jeopardy, but discernment, praying for discernment, evaluating a situation, and putting a just punishment with that situation that is best for you and the team and that child, that is discernment. You need to pray over those things. And be careful, coaches, because what we do is we like to control. Oh, my player did this. I'm going to punish him. He's not yours. He's not your player. Okay? If He's his parents. All right? And you're here to assist them in building his son into a godly man. And then, first and foremost, he's God's child. So pray in how you should handle the situation. Think about this. And with wisdom and discernment, there is a time to go off and a time not to. There is a time to give in 
and there is a time not to give in. There is a time to stand your guard, and there is a time not to. There is a time to stand firm, and there is a time not to. I'm going to talk about this uh, and use an example with one of our players, Justin Menard. Uh, Justin and I have a great relationship, so I don't mind saying his name. Um, and uh, Justin's going to play football at Central Florida. Well, the longer the season goes, the harder it is to coach your players. They're tired of practicing. They just want to play in the game. Well, here we are in the semifinals, and we're at practice. And Justin Menard was a leader on my team, whether he wanted to be or not. He had a lot of influence over some of the players, and he had an influence over a few of my very good juniors. Justin started to buck my authority. So one day at practice, he just, you know, he just did not do ball security drills. And then Coach Queen yelled for all the skill guys, after ball security drills, they're supposed to go to scale. Well, I sit there and I'm working with the O-line, but I was watching Justin not do ball security drills. And then uh, I already had to yell at Justin on this day, so just know that. And he had already been influencing some of my key juniors in a bad way. And I was watching some of my juniors drift to him a little bit. And so um, I'm like, man, these suckers are following Justin and not me. And then so Justin doesn't do ball ball security. Those same juniors didn't do ball security. So then Justin runs over to Coach Queen. And and he's about to do scale. And he did not do ball security. He took a knee and didn't do it. So I yell over at Justin. I said, absolutely not, man. You're not going to go over there and do ball security and catch, uh, excuse me, go over there and do scale and catch balls until you go do ball security. And um, he yelled at me, I did do ball security. And then I saw, I ran over there and I told him, I said, dude, you did not do ball security. You're lying to my face. And, um, and then he cocked an attitude with me. And a whole team is now watching and he starts catching an attitude with me. And so I lost it. I went off. And it was rightly so. There were so many times in Justin's career when I should have gone off on him or could have gone off on him, and I chose not to. It wasn't the right time. It wasn't the right situation. But at this point, he was uh, usurping my authority, and he was influencing my juniors in a negative way. And it was time for me to let the entire team know that I was the head coach. And so Justin talked back with me, and I told him to get off the field. He's not playing for Elka football anymore. I don't want to see his face anymore. I don't know what he's going to tell Central Florida. And I told him to get off. And so Justin walked off the field. Now, everybody on my football team knows I am just looking for a change of behavior. I just want him to submit to my authority and to respect me. That's all I want. I want him to do what I say. A good leader for us was Kobe Mitchell. Kobe knows me very well. Kobe went and chased Justin down, and I found this out after the fact. He said, Justin, don't go. Just come back out here and bust your tail. Do what coach says and keep your mouth shut. So I'm back working with the O-line. Justin comes back out, and he went on to have the very best football practice he has ever had. And um, after practice, he came, he came up and apologized to me. And he, and he went on to uh, have a great uh, semifinal game. He was a scored two touchdowns in the state championship game. Key reason why we won, started at corner and start at slot wide receiver. 
that's all we're looking for. We're looking for change of behavior. And, um, and so, man, I, I'm, I will be, I am quick to forgive and, uh, I am quick to relent off my punishment. Now, had he not come back out there and had he not worked hard and had he not apologized, I would have stuck to my guns with the suspension, but that's wisdom and discernment. And all I'm looking for is a change of behavior. Think about this. Now, Jesus promises in the old Testament that if the people will repent, he will not bring the disaster upon them. And, and I think that's what we need to, God's, God's full of mercy and grace. As football coaches, we need to be full of mercy and grace. We need to hold a standard, but we need to be full of mercy and grace. Number 13, we're, you need to understand this as an assistant coach and as a head coach, just as people, we are sinners and we are not perfect. Okay, when you mess up, ask for forgiveness. <clears throat> I think about the uh, Stockbridge game in 2015 and uh, we had a chance to win and man, I called a trick play and bottom line bottom line is the trick play didn't work and we threw an interception and they ran it back for a touchdown and that's why we lost. You know, I didn't blame the kid who threw the interception. It was a bubble, it was a double pass interception. I blame myself for calling the stupid play. I apologized to the team after the game. I asked them to forgive me. I took ownership. I asked them all to take ownership of their mistakes. But I didn't point the finger and place blame. I pointed the finger at myself. And I, and I placed blame upon myself and I asked for forgiveness. If you will ask for forgiveness and motivate and encourage your players, they'll die for you. If you lose a game, don't, don't yell at your players. Don't berate your players. Don't run them after the game. Just apologize to the game that you didn't do enough for the team to win. Now, ask them selves to do the same thing to a man, you know, and uh, you'll become a great team. But you got to model that behavior. You can't tell a young man to take ownership if you refuse to take ownership. And as coaches, when we lose, we can always think of some horrible play calls that we have. Um, don't ever blame, take ownership. <clears throat> When you don't blame, but you take ownership, you can grow as a coach. You can learn from your mistakes. Um, <clears throat> number 14, um, I'm going to uh, look up this Bible verse real quick. <clears throat> it's from Proverbs 26. If I can find it. I, I should have wrote it down. Um It's about humility and taking ownership, so I'm just going to skip over it. And uh, so let me flip the page here. Just just some final notes. Be about done. Um, I, I want you to think, assistant coaches, think about being loyal. I talked to two head coaches, and one lost his defensive coordinator in the past week, and one lost his offensive coordinator in the past week. Guys, it's May. You know if you are assistant coaches, you know if you're looking for greener pastures, you know if you are looking to move, you know if you might move. When you leave in May, you put your head coach in a horrible situation, <clears throat> you're not being loyal, you should have told him in, April, uh, in January or February that you might move. I'm telling you, if you're not loyal and you, and you don't, uh, cultivate people's trust it's going to bite you in the end and you might leave that school and you might go somewhere that you think is better or bigger for your family but that coach that, that you were not loyal to 
he is going to talk to people and he knows people. It's going to hurt you. Your reputation is critical. We are so desperate for relevance and to feel validated. And what that means is, is we're so desperate for people to hear us and to hear what we know instead of just doing the grunt work. As an assistant, don't sit around and talk. Listen. And as you listen and as you exceed expectations, you're going to get your chance to be a coordinator and to be a head coach. All right, yeah, here's Proverbs 26. Um, Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. Okay, so don't don't try to be wise in your own eyes. Try to be a nobody, a nothing, and just learn from people. <clears throat> and then this, this is the last thing I'm going to leave you with as an assistant coach. Proverbs 25, 6 and 7. Do not put yourself forward in the king's presence or stand in the place of the great. For it is better to be told, come up here, than to be put lower in the presence of a noble. Proverbs 25, 6 through 7. This is what I think about. Don't sit there and try to promote yourself and try to get to the top and tell everybody everything you know. Just work your tail off and be your absolute best. Develop great uh, relationships and go to coaches and ask great questions and eventually you will be promoted. But when you put yourself forward in the king's presence or stand up in the place of the great, a lot of times you get knocked down and you get embarrassed. But when you just stay on the bottom and you work your tail off and you, when you get the opportunity to talk to coaches and you ask great questions and you listen, people will start to trust you and people will start to respect you and they will start to listen to you and your responsibilities will gradually grow. Don't be in a hurry and don't rush. Hope you guys enjoyed the podcast today. Um, Tomorrow or Tuesday, I will do it on part three will be on weight room, off-season strength and uh, speed development, and leadership training. And then I had Coach Graham wanted me to do one on how to deal with parents. So that would be a fourth one of things that I've learned. So hope you guys enjoy the podcast. Uh, Hope you share it with people. We're growing uh, each and every day. I just want to be a source of Uh, light for everybody and be able to help everybody and after Memorial Day weekend's over I'll start having other coaches on so you can hear from other people other than me appreciate everybody let's pray Lord we come before you today just want to praise and thank you for loving us praise and thank you for all the coaches out there who listen to this podcast Lord I pray that they first and foremost would strive to be uh, men of Jesus Christ Lord men who desire to have wisdom and to have discernment. Lord, we only have those things through you. Men who desire to influence uh, boys and coaches and their community for Jesus Christ. Men who model uh, the correct behavior, Lord. Men who just don't ask for something, but Lord, are willing to give it and are willing to show it and how they 
run their lives on a day-to-day basis, Lord. We love Bless you. the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship his holy name. Sing like never before, oh my soul, I worship your Thank you. 
Worship your holy name. Worship your holy name. 